You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. Shout out to Ethan's our tech wizardry. Guru. Dude, shout out to our tech guru, Ethan Klein, for getting all this dialed in. So even Papa Boo Bear Aaron Howell can figure this shit out with the help of my my producer and co-host, Gordo G. Gordelstein. Fuck, man. Yes. It's yes. working. It's working. Gordo, how are you? Hi, guys. How you doing? How are hey. you, Aaron? How are hey. you? It's good to see you, bud. Oh, the thing good I was going to gonna tell you, you, Tony Lee called me. And okay. I told you he's been unable to be in the same room for uh, Laura's ultrasounds because of COVID. Oh, shit. I yeah, didn't know so, that. Yeah, it's really shitty. And, like, I've told him on the phone, I've been like, I'm, I've been like dude, I'm mad for you. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's something every father should, like, I, I wish for every father to have the opportunity to be in the room for that. It's just, like, such an amazing thing. And so I was mad for him because it wasn't happening. And then he called me up and he said... Because his mom is uh, his mom's a nurse, so she's uh, you know she knows a lot of she knows a lot of the spots and the labs and the different independent imaging businesses and stuff she's, like that. She's got the inside. She's, she's got the, the insider's inside dope. Yeah. Insider's dope, if you will. Yeah. So she told. Uh, I guess she gave them as a gift. She gave them. Uh, they get, she gave them uh, an appointment at a private imaging company that allows you to have one guest. And oh. so they went and they're going to they're going to get their um, the 3D image of the baby and they're going to give you like a teddy bear with the baby's heartbeat and all this stuff. And then Tony starts going off on this rant because he's like he's like they're calling it 5D imaging. And I'm like, what the fuck is that bullshit? First of all, uh, where, where, where are they getting the 4D stuff? And I'm like, well, you're seeing the baby in real time. He's like, no, that's not the fourth dimension. And I'm like, oh, is it more like. The aliens in Slaughterhouse Five who can see time in a linear fashion. Like, if you could see your baby's entire life from start to finish, that would be 4D. But then, what is the fucking 5D imaging? And he's like, "See, I want to come in there, but now I don't trust you. Now I don't trust you. You're saying things like 5D imaging." He's like, "Do you think I'm stupid? Yeah, like I'm not. I'm not falling for this shit." And I'm like, "Yeah, watch. It's just like one of the technicians just got his nephew to like." make a, a computer-generated image of a baby swimming around in the ether, and they just play that on a loop for everybody that comes in. It's like, that's your baby! Here, give us $100 and come take a gander. That's your baby in the fifth dimension, baby. Yeah, that is your five-dimensional fetus. Anyway, welcome to episode 111 of the motherfucking podcast. This is, of course, the official podcast of the International Power Rock Combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. 111 is the only one. 111 is the only one. 111111111111111. Everything. Oh, dude, for 101, we should have done an episode on computer programming. No. Can we do it on 10101011? Sure. Uh, we're back another week. 
with fewer tech problems than ever before, I think. It doesn't look like we're dropping frames. It doesn't look like anything's lagging. No, dude, we're we're looking really gold over here, thanks to Ethan Klein. Thank you, Ethan Klein. Thank Ethan you. Klein. Yeah, man. We're stoked. I've got a lot of yellow on today. We've got an awesome guest. I'm excited to be hanging out here with my buddy Gordo. It's going to be really hard to just, like, gush about all the guitar playing I've been doing, but we'll, we'll see if we get to it at the end of the episode, because I want like I want to impress you, Gordo. Like, I really hold do. Hold it in, buddy. Hold yeah, it in. I'll hold it in for now. <laughs> Mostly, though, I want to talk to a very cool guest. Uh, those of you who have been following our comic book series, The Front Lines of Good Times, um, you may recognize the voice that is on the podcast as uh, the narrator of The Front Lines of Good Times comic series audio and motion comics. He is also a professional tattooer and shop owner. Are you a shop owner or just shop manager? No, I don't have the misfortune of having to own any more shops. I've retired from that. <laughs> yeah, you've retired from that. So professional yeah. tattooer, former shop owner, uh, producer, actor, um, and just all-around super cool guy. And uh, one of the older dads that I talk to for... Uh, for, for sagely fatherly advice. Please welcome to the show my man, Bobby Lee Black. Thanks for coming on the program. Hey, yeah. What's happening, everybody? How you doing, my man? I'm doing outstanding, man. I really am. Uh, and I want to thank you right up front for uh, being willing to let us use your music on my movie that I'm producing. Absolutely. I still need to read the script. Sweet. I still need to read the script, but... Uh, Dude, I mean, when you call me and ask me about that, it's a no-brainer. Of course, I would, I would do anything to help out anything that you're working on. Um, well, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course, my man, of course. And uh, so just so people know what we're talking about, let's jump right into it and talk about the, the film that you're working on. Because it, it, started okay. as, it started as a short... Well, I'll just let you give the background on it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Well, about two and a half years ago, my partner Idolo and I started the uh, Chamber Peace Films production company, and we uh, had a tattoo shop comedy series that we were working on, and we shot the first pilot episode um, with no actors, basically. It was just me and a bunch of kids I was working with, and... Uh, it went really well. It was really well received on social media. It was really well received on YouTube. Um, people really wanted to see the series. They wanted another episode. Um, but we couldn't get it funded, so we had to shelve the project. Well, we flash forward two years, and we've got a full-length feature film based on the same kind of premise with the same characters. And I enlisted a bunch of folks that uh, I've done a lot of projects with. We've got a cast of 33 now with uh, 26 backgrounders on top of that. Oh, wow. And a, and a uh, crew of 10. So we're ready to rock and roll. The basic um, premise of the movie is uh, it's, it's a comedy that uh, takes place with all the shenanigans and hijinks that go on in a tattoo shop. Right. Basically, there's a new tattooer and an old tattooer. They don't get along real well. They are constantly doing stuff to each other. The new tattooer's fallen in love with the piercer. I'm dying, and the landlord's trying to kick us out all the time. So, so standard tattoo kinda, shop stuff. Yeah, just standard tattoo shops. Um, it's pretty funny. 
everybody that's read the script so far has really enjoyed it. Um, we had a really good table read just recently where everybody was laughing out loud and having a really good time. Um, we got the Enigma for the movie. I don't know if you're hip to the Enigma, oh, yeah, but he's, yeah. he's that blue guy with all the puzzle pieces on. Yeah, we uh, we so we talked on the phone about that, and uh, Gordo and I, I, I think Gordo has probably had about the same experience with the Enigma as I have, which is he was a regular around Three Kings when... Uh, when I was working there and when Gordo was hanging around there a lot more after, after he moved out to Denver, cause he was doing, uh, the Enigma was doing his weekly freak show there for a bit. And, and he was getting yeah. booked on events and was, he was really hanging around in the Denver scene. He decided to move out here. If I remember correctly, he moved out here because, uh, it's got an international airport and like he needed to go somewhere with an international airport because of all the touring and traveling and, and for higher stuff that he does. Um, but, you know, he fell in love with the scene and he fell in love with the weather because we have amazing weather here. Don't tell anybody else who isn't already here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but and, and I've always found him to be a super great guy to work with. I mentioned when you and I were talking on the phone, um, the Enigma is the guy who really lit a fire under my ass to get the band over to Europe. Um, you know, I... I'll never forget this. I was backstage at Three Kings in the green room. We were doing a show together. I want to say it was one of the Monsters of Mock, and he was hosting it. It was actually because it was the year we did uh, Dios Mijos, which was our which was our Dio tribute. And uh, the Enigma was hosting the event, and we're backstage, and I was just talking about, gosh, gee golly, I really wish I could get the band to Europe, and da 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 da. And he just looked at me and like gave me this very serious and intense look, and was just like, it's like so do it. Go do it, man. Go take it. Fucking like he's like, be a man. Take it. Do the thing. You know, go out there and get it. And he was and he was just like, just call up venues, just research places. Say this is what I do. This is when I'm looking to come. This is what I normally get paid. And just keep calling and calling and sending emails and and put in the work and get your ass over there. And like a, like I'm now obviously there was a lot more that went into it, but he was really like the Mickey to my Rocky in getting over there, you know, just that like little pep talk got me like really fired up to get over there and do it. Cause he broke it down as just a very simple process of steps. It was really cool. Um, but that's great that you just kind of, how did you come to get connected with him? Um, actually my publicist put me together with a guy that, uh, that did his, uh, comic. And uh, and we got, got connected through him, and we're really glad to have him on board. I mean, he's a pretty big star, you know. He's done a lot of TV, he's done some film. He's uh, he toured with like uh, Corn, Circus, Nine yeah. Nails, and all kinds of people. You know what I mean? He's probably the most recognizable tattooed uh, celebrity that's out there right now. Wasn't he was uh, he was part of the Jim Rose sideshow, right? And they toured with yeah, Lollapalooza. Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Jim Rose uh, he even he even opened for yeah, Bowie. Yeah, doing that yeah. Oh, that's cool. He opened for Bowie. That's that's yeah. That's bad. yeah. I didn't know he opened for Bowie. That's fucking cool yeah, shit. Man. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's we're real glad to have him on board, and he's a real sweetheart. I didn't I didn't have any idea that he was uh, he was uh, so easy to deal with. He's very groovy. And, uh, we, were, we, we were talking about that. How like he's like 
We've heard both of us have individually heard stories about how he was difficult to work with, and we both had an experience that was quite the contrary. And Gordo, you'll love this. The the when I was talking to Bobby about it, the explanation that I gave is it's like, well, he's also an independent entertainer with no business team. He does everything himself. And what a lot of people do is they hire an agent or a manager or a publicist who is willing to be more assertive and aggressive and in some cases less likable up front. Right, you know, right, right. To, because they have to advocate for their client. Well, when you're when when it's all in house, when you're the the cook waiter and chief bottle washer, you know, you have to sometimes put on that hat of being your own ball breaking manager oh, yeah. or agent you know yeah you gotta have somebody right, to be right. the heavy and if you're doing it all yourself that just makes it you know a little bit more complex <laughs> that is something that is something that got in my way for the early part of our career without a doubt unequivocally is i never wanted to be the bad guy and i was always worried about like oh i don't want to call and be a pain and i don't want to like harass anybody and i i don't want this person to get mad at me because i really need this gig and you have to that's something that you got to learn i mean honestly you just don't know until you get out there and experience it and you have to learn right (laughs) you have to learn to advocate for yourself you know and absolutely i've always been very fortunate i've always had somebody advocating for me you know what i mean and um i'm no good at that i'm a good pitch man but i'm not a closer you know right, what i mean right, I right, right. project but when it comes down to time to making you pay i feel like it i get weird yeah, you so. know in some ways i've had to make this shift where i just try and map over the same nonchalant demeanor that i would have if i was closing out an order of chicken wings at work Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i think we have this tendency to blow these big things up in our mind and we think that if we push too hard or if we're seen as hard to work with or we're annoying to someone that it's going to mean we'll lose that opportunity and all opportunities in the future well you know somebody told me one time they told me that they um a, a guy that books shows was telling me that he doesn't take people seriously that don't take themselves seriously. And that really kind of changed. That was what changed my tune. That's I, really cool. I, I can totally relate to what you were saying, Aaron, about, you know, just like, Oh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat here, fellas. You know, like you, you can't do that. Like you really have to just stand up no, and say, absolutely. This is, this is what we need and this is what we're doing. And this is what the deal is. Well, and people look, if you're in an office all day and you're responding to, like, you know, I worked in the office at Three Kings for a bit. You're just looking at email after email after email of bands that want to book shows. And th- there is, <laughs> there are different types of emails all along the spectrum, but the ones who get booked are the people who seem to know their shit and who have, you know, this is what we're trying to do. This is who's going to be a part of it. This is when we want to do it. Here's our promotional plan. Here's everything we want to do it. Here's it. it basically, what you're doing is is the booker or the talent buyer is going, good, great. This sounds like something I can fill on this night. You guys can have this. Uh, here's your two drink tickets and and you know here's the door deal. Blah 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 blah. Moving up. They, in most cases, they're copying and pasting something over. You know, they're watching. 
10, 15 seconds of your top song on YouTube, in most cases, or top piece of content on whatever link you give them. They're looking at that. They're seeing more or less what the numbers are, and they're checking to see if it fits the vibe of their joint. And that's it. Right. They want to move on to the next one. They've got 365 fucking shows to book. Yep. Yeah, man. You know, in some cases, especially if it's a nightclub or something like that. And, I mean, that applies to that applies to film, which is your wheelhouse, yep. uh, Bobby. You know, it being able to reach out to producers or reach out to uh, possible um, investors and just say, look... Here's the plan. Da 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 da. Right when we got on the show, you launched into your pitch about the movie, and it was, you know, it was so very casual and so very cool and something that you clearly are excited about, but you're not trying to sell anybody on. You're just talking about it because you enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, yeah, and, and people recognize really still- that. I'm really stoked about the project. I would not have taken on the producer role had I not been really, really stoked about the project because producing is awful. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not It's not something that I, I want to do. You know, I'm an actor. I like staying in front of the camera. I don't like getting behind the camera because that's where all the work happens. And I'm well, and you don't like asking people for money either. Oh, you know, I hate that. Clear. And that's what yeah. that's pretty much what a producer has to do is is like run around and ask people for money. All day. Then, yeah, all, all day long. So tell Hundreds us a little bit emails. about that. For those for those of us who are terrible at that, because I know I'm terrible at it. Gordo feels terrible at it, I'm sure, sometimes. Oh sure. Yeah. How do you as a producer <laughs> good you- But what I have to do is I have to try to share my enthusiasm about the project right. you know i mean we've got a lot of great stuff going for us we've got a lot of seasoned actors on board we've got seasoned crew um we've got a really good script and we've got uh uh some great opportunities if, if people want to get involved you know what i mean we're only we're we're looking at a pretty good roi on this one because we've got connections with gravitas distribution we've got connections with two other distribution companies that are interested in our film um i just i just hit one over the fence with gravitas with my rook production and uh i've got half the cast from rook in my new movie so So tell us a a little bit about that tell us a little bit about rook and gravitas like what what are those things um what happened was is that uh Rook was a, a heist film that we shot up in Cripple Creek, Colorado. That was uh, produced Bad. by that was produced by my friends at Studio Town, and uh, it's a really good film. It really came out well, and the actors were just stellar. Um, it's coming out like August 11th, I think, on streaming. But uh, so what streaming um, services is it going to be on? Where should people watch oh, out for it? It's going to be on uh, uh, Amazon for sure, maybe Netflix. You know, I'm not sure exactly That's what Robin awesome. But uh, we're also courting the uh, drive-through, or not the drive-through, but the drive-in uh, theaters that are all starting to come back now that the uh, regular theaters are starting to close down. How about you know? that? How yeah. about that shit? 
drive-in, man. It's, it's coming back, you know? It's rocking it out, man. They never I should have gotten buddy. rid of the old Cinderella twin, man. They never should have gotten I rid got, of that shit. I got a buddy that uh, just made about 600 grand on an independent film just on the drive-in, sir. Get the fuck out. Bi- wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's fucking great. So, yeah, that's that. You know, we got a lot of really good platforms and a lot of good connections to get this thing seen. And that's what it's about, because until it gets seen, nobody makes any money, you know. But uh, we got a real low budget and uh, and we're still looking for a couple of producers. We need a couple more people to come on board with us. But uh, um, we've raised quite a bit of money already and we're ready to shoot. We're just... uh, just waiting for waiting for the call time. It's uh, we don't start shooting until the sixteenth. See, this is this is a, a couple cool things. Um, first and foremost, or not first and foremost, but but first, uh, I think it's so cool that we live in a time that technology has been coming becoming consumer grade at such an incredible rate that you can do so much. You can do like you can do so much with such a small budget now, and it is just like killing mm. the major producers and the major movie houses and and these giants, these like these like legacy companies. They can't mm. compete compete with like everybody can make a movie for free or for the cost of their phone bill at least. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there have been entire there have been entire award winning movies made with people's fucking cell phones and free yeah. editing software. You know, it, it's it's all a matter of how much you want to invest in the tools that you have, but you can, you can do that shit. I Absolutely. also think it's it's incredible that we are in the we are seeing the adaptability of the entertainment in, industry. You know, it's it's only been a few months, and we're seeing all these films go on to drive-ins. We're seeing drive-ins come back into popularity where before they were dying. You yeah. Know? We're seeing yeah. uh, we're seeing venues adopt these old um, production models. Like the uh, I was talking to Andy Burkoff from the Oriental Theater uh, a couple days ago, and Gordo, I actually want you to talk about this because I didn't know that you were doing one of those shows. Surprise! Yeah, um, surprise! It's over. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the Oriental Theater was doing these shows where they can have a maximum of fifty people in. So what they're doing is they're doing multiple shows in a night, like a fucking nightclub would do. You know, like right. a whole nightclub would have in, you know, of course, those would sell out over and over, and they would do, just make sure you come in for the 10 o'clock show, you know, that type of shit. Like running it almost more like a comedy club. Uh, and they've said they've had, you know, pretty positive, pretty favorable results from it. And from what you're saying, it sounds like the drive-in theaters are, are having – incredibly favorable results from yeah. uh, and, and independent movies who don't have any red tape to go through can can give their films to these drive-in theaters for people who want something to do besides sit at home and they're going to see movies that they might normally flip past on a streaming service absolutely it's 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 a grand opportunity for uh small filmmakers to get their uh to get their movies seen you know, because uh, really fantastic. The, theaters, the theater circuit was so sewn up that if you didn't have a pretty major distribution company that had a pretty big budget, you weren't getting shown in the theater. Right. You know, 
um, well, the theaters went away. Now we got the drive-ins, and uh, you don't need a big budget. You don't need a big production company or a big distribution company. All you need is a, is a decent film. Right. Right. You know? And there's something like, I don't know, There's I've heard the term choice paralysis before, but the like... <laughs> The overabundance of, of content that is out there, it's like you think about all the stuff you could potentially be missing out on. Like if the films that you grew up loving had come out today, they might have just flown under your radar because they wouldn't, right. have, even, they wouldn't have even come in front of your eyeballs. You know what I mean? Right. There wasn't come in front of your eyeballs. That's hilarious. It's um, a democracy of goods out there. It's a democracy of goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, so an, an another interesting thing on this same, sort of in the same universe, is we share a publicist. Uh, Gro- Groovy Nouvel is, is your publicist and also our publicist. Right, right. And um, uh, he has a show on a linear streaming service. Right, right. Which is interesting because before that was just called TV. You know what yeah. I mean? Just like <laughs> yeah. you would turn it to a channel and you, or, or what, what is this? It? A nonlinear streaming service is what they call it, or linear streaming service. I'm not sure which one it is, right. but basically it's like, instead of going and watching piecemeal content and selecting it, there's actually a demand for programming where people can just turn on your network and just watch and see what you put on. They want someone else to curate content for them. They're like, ah, there's too many things. I'll tell you what. Someone who knows good things, put those good things on a thing that I can watch and just watch good things. Did you know right. that there is a uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds have their own like YouTube channel? No and fucking just, way. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's been playing since March, since this thing started actually maybe even earlier and it's just like it's all nick cave in the bad seats content <laughs> that's and like, rad i mean and it's like they have so much content that they have they have yet to duplicate any what have of they their, been doing like what of, kind of stuff do they have it's like tons of shows tons of shows like there's a shitload of shows on there videos anything that's related like peripherally or you know to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is on there. It's like it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. You just leave that going. Just leave that going as you're going to sleep. You know. Yeah. Have some nice dreams. Really nice dreams. <laughs> that. <laughs> I really want to go see Nick Cave live. I've heard nothing but good things. Oh, he's great. What were you saying, Bobby? Oh, I was just saying you could really wake up in a bizarre state of thinking going to sleep <laughs> in Nick Cave. Oh man. yeah, yeah. I can sure. only imagine. <laughs> For yeah. Sure. Yeah, man. Um. So th- th- now this this is something that else has just popped into my head is Gordo. We've talked before on the show about the importance of catering to the smallest percentage of your overall listening or or, or viewing base. You know, because audiences have become so small and specialized. You know, like, um, like there used to be only a, f- a few studios that made all the movies for everybody. Right. And they had, they had a responsibility 
to make all the movies for everybody, and they made a fucking killing doing it. You know, fill in the movie houses so we can sell that sweet, sweet air conditioning, like which is <laughs> really all that they were doing. But I digress. But um, um, but uh, but now it's this opposite thing where like they have grown to be dependent on the lion's share of the viewing audiences. But now it's like everybody just has these relatively smaller specialized audiences and um so how do you think that that has affected uh the independent film world do you think it's largely been a good thing or it has uh been something that is a huge hurdle for the independent film world i think that it's it's a tremendous boon i think that what's happened is because you have these small specialized audiences, there's more of them. And since there's more of them, there is more room for content. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, where where you might not have been able to make a document, like a friend of mine just made a documentary about Dungeons and Dragons and that whole lifestyle. Right. Um, and it's doing really well, you know, with that specialized audience. It's doing really well. I have a specialized audience with my film. It's a tattoo comedy. I've got three layers of audience. I've got uh, the tattoo industry, which is the sixth largest growing industry in America. Right. I have uh, the tattooed people, and you're 18 to 25. Um, what was it? 70 percent of uh, 18 to 25ers got a tattoo. And then I've got all the guys who were watching uh, Miami Inc. and all that. Um, you know, that was uh, six seasons of a hit TV show that spun off into three more. And now there's another one, Ink Masters, that my friend David's on. Right. And uh, it's uh, it's blowing up and it's doing fine, you know. So we've got a built-in audience. And, and so those segmented, those segmented audiences, I think, have the potential to... Give us more content than we ever had before. Yeah, and it's like it's like the like the way I try to look at it is it's like you know it's easy to get the feeling of like well nobody's watching our stuff. It's like well not nobody, not everybody, but not nobody. So who is? But your audience is. But your audience is right. Yeah, and yeah. you look at something like tattoo related content, for example, right? Like not everybody is watching that shit. Not everybody's no. watching it, but enough people are watching that specialty content to keep it alive, to keep it uh, something that that advertisers want to get into just for the viewer acquisition level uh, itself, you know, just to get the placement. You know, they know enough people are watching it. I was thinking before we even got on today, there's like all those industry specific, like like the framework is basically like, this is the job that people do. This is like what people do for a living. This is the specialized drama to their vocation and some some archetypal and stereotypical interactions that they have in that context. You know, you look right. at something like you look at something like the film Waiting. Like everybody I know in the service industry has seen Waiting. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it's a stupid fucking cheeseball comedy. But everybody but in the service industry is like, that shit is fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's fucking built-in audience. Yeah, it's a built-in audience sort of thing, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so, like, 
even though not everyone is going to be interested in a movie about what it's like in a tattoo shop, the people who work in tattoo shops and pick up on that stuff, they're going to be like, dude, my shop is just fucking like that. The, the piercer chick is so hot, and she's been fooling around with the younger guy, and da-da-da-da-da-da for years and years. <laughs> you know, it's and, and the landlord's always trying to shut you down, it seems Always like. trying to kick you out, all the time. It makes you wonder why they ever rent to us in the first place, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, and and it it that that's something that's kind of surprising to me because I've always seen the tattoo industry as being this really thriving industry. All the tattoo artists that I know, like all the tattooers that I know, make like the ones. I mean, the ones that produce good work make mm-hmm. make a great living tattooing. Yeah. Like they make yeah. an above average living for sure. I've always made an above average living, and being an eighth grade dropout with a questionable past you know what i mean i don't have a lot of employment opportunities out there in the square world but it's always taking care of me in I've raised square world man <laughs> I've, I've i've raised four kids and supported five wives you know so four it's okay. kids and five wives wow <laughs> okay so let's talk about your questionable past let's question it all right <laughs> <laughs> you said well, we're able to question it let's question it so, yeah. so give us a little bit about your your background, how you got into tattooing, and how you got into film and acting. Which which came first, the chicken or the egg? Tell me about it. Tattooing came first. My uncle Eddie taught me how to tattoo when I was sixteen. Um, I basically I was drawn on my pants. He walked through the living room. He punched me in the head, drawn on my pants, and then he told me that he could uh, teach me how to make that into a living. And he taught me how to tattoo. So really? that's just been, like that, just, just like, like that. And so I, like, I quit drawing on your pants, you dumbass. Yeah, draw on people's flesh with head. needles and get paid for it. Let's do this, you know. So I went off and started tattooing. But uh, previous to that, I was in and out of foster care all the time. And then I got in and out of the boys' schools. And then I got in and out of the California Youth Authority. And then I got in a pen. You know, I did, you know, I had uh, had a lot of behavioral issues wrapped up around my drug use. And uh, and it wasn't until I got cleaned up that uh, the things started coming loose for me. And this whole acting thing and the wrestling thing, the radio thing, all that stuff. Holy shit. Well, there's a there's an awful lot to unpack there. So, so tell uh, tell me a little bit about um God, I don't even know where to begin. There's just so much there. So I'll let's, tell you, let's I'll tell you how I got in the entertainment industry. Yeah, tell me about uh, that. I was uh I had a tattoo shop open in in Hawaii and I went in and I oh, I did a couple of radio commercials for my tattoo shop. And some guy heard my voice and wanted me to do a Sylvester Stallone imitation so on his commercial. So I did that. And then they gave me uh, then they gave me Saturday Night Request Party. And I did that uh, as, a, as on air. And then I went over to uh, morning drives and then I landed in afternoon drives. And um, I was I was a pretty well-known DJ in Hawaii. And uh, this wrestler came back to Kona and decided he wanted to open a gym. His name was Brian Adams. He was the crush. And he uh, he uh, talked as opposed to the Brian Adams that many young girls of the 80s and 90s had a crush on. No, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> the no, crush. The same one yeah, that did the, did, the uh, did the duet with Tina Turner. Not that guy. <laughs> not that guy. 
Not that good. So he talked me into wrestling, and uh, I went on board, and I went to school, and I started being a pro wrestler. Get and the then fuck out. you were a pro wrestler. Oh yeah, man! I did that for three years. I was big I as a house. I thought you meant you were announcing the game, you know, announcing the oh, matches. Oh, I put like, on, I put on 120 pounds and got in the ring. Yeah, like, like okay. So tell me about this. Is where we're gonna go. All right. So tell me about <laughs> tell me about your wrestling career. Let's talk about your wrestling career. Like, um, where are your where are your fights? Like, is it like? Can you talk about kayfabe? Like, can you? Of like, course. Like, what was your I character got... like? Like, tell tell us about your wrestling career. Well, I got smartened up by a guy named uh, Steve Kern, who was uh, the Doink the Clown back in the day, <laughs> and he taught me how to wrestle. That's, uh, that's WCW, right? That was WWF. That was WWF. Okay. Yeah, he was he was a WWF guy back in the day. And he taught me how to wrestle, and uh, I went out and started doing my thing. Um, I was what's called a jobber. I'm a guy that goes in and talks a lot of shit about how he's going to kick somebody's ass, and then he loses. You know, that was called a jobber. Yeah, jobber. Yeah, the guy, the guy that's going to lose is jobbing. Yeah, so who's going to lose is jobbing? That's the terminology. The guy that's losing is doing all the work. You know, when you when you. When you're getting body slammed, you're actually doing a handstand. When you're getting snap married, you're doing a flip. You know, you're doing all this stuff when you're getting beat up that you don't have to do when you're beating somebody up. So the losers are the best performers, is what you're saying. The losers the are the most skilled wrestlers. Yeah, the ones that work the hardest. They they may they put the other guy over. They make him look good. You know. No fucking. So way. I did that for a few years, and then I realized that promoting was where the money was at. And so I came back to Denver and I opened up a wrestling school called Slam City and I started I started, <laughs> I started, I started out of here. I started promoting some of my own wrestling shows with a company called CWO that was a central wrestling organization. We had some great shows. I, I brought in a bunch of my buddies from the wrestling circuit. We brought in uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Sonny Ono, uh, uh, you, brought in Ra- you brought in Rowdy Roddy Piper? He was such a sweetheart. He came in two days early and taught a couple of classes at my school. Then when we were done at the stock show complex, we had about 2,000 people there. He stayed and signed autographs and took pictures with everybody that wanted to. He was a class act. He yeah. Was really right on. That's yeah, really cool, good. man. Yeah, we had a lot of big names come in. We had some big shows. We did really well. Um, then that we was sold- in California or was that here that in Colorado? Was- I was here in Denver. I was here in Denver. So were you yeah. were you traveling or or were you like okay, so when you were wrestling, were you doing the traveling show thing and then you opened up on, like basically a hub here in Denver, right? Right, yeah. Back then when I was working, I was working about two hundred and sixty days a year. That's how much I was on the road. God fuck. Um, That's hard on your body, man. The only time I was home was when I got hurt. You know what I mean? That was it. You know, wow. I mean it's, um, Any and, permanent and, damage from from wrestling? All banged up, man. I tell you what, I've had uh, twelve broken bones and five dislocations wrestling. Um, and what blew me out of the water was a bruised brain stem. I uh, went off a ladder. <laughs> um, <laughs> a bruised insane. brain stem, yeah, man. I had a hematoma oh. in the brain. 
Dude, I've, I've heard of like, oh, yeah, he can't come to work. He bruised his tailbone. Oh, that sounds terrible. But it's like, it's like you know, I bruised my brain stem. I'm going yeah. to need to lay on the couch for, you know, the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> Jesus yeah, it was, it was a bummer, man. I was, I was paralyzed for about 18 hours. I thought that I wasn't going to be able to move anything from my neck down. I had a lot of. I had a lot of thinking to do at that time. Did, let me um, let me ask you: Did you um, do you think you experienced any any uh, CTE uh, type of damage? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So what what have you noticed in terms of the neurological ramifications? I mean, besides the 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 damage to your body, like what have you noticed in terms of the neurological, the long term neurological damage? I've got a lot of blank spots in my head. There's a lot of things that I don't remember. Uh-oh. There's that um, my time my time is no longer linear. I, I it's more like it either happened the other day or it happened a while back. And sometimes I'll be telling a story about the other day, and my wife will tell me that was like three years ago. What are you talking about? Oh Just, shit! Yeah, time's not real linear anymore, and. Uh, you know, everyone like I got a GPS on my dashboard because about three or four times every time I'm driving home, I, I lose my way and I get panicked thinking that uh, thinking that I don't know where I am. You know what I mean? So my wow. my, my brain scrambled. Got a little wow. scrambled. So let, yeah. let me let me ask you something. Because, I mean, the CTE conversation is a very controversial one in mm-hmm. the world of, of contact sports. And we hear a lot about the conversation around around football. The we, we, I mean, we've been hearing a bit more about it around wrestling since all the wrestler documentaries have been coming out and things like that. Sure. Um, what What is your feeling on the way the industry has dealt with CTE in the wrestling world? Like, do you think they have a greater responsibility or – as a wrestler, do you think that you assumed a certain amount of risk and you knew what you were getting into? Like, like where where do you sit on all of this? Because I'm very curious. Well, wrestling, characteristically as a wrestler, you're treated like a circus animal. Right, okay? I've heard that. Um, you just do what you're told. Keep your head down. You don't stir up any shit, you know. And uh, um, as far as their responsibility with CTE, I don't think that they. I don't think that they've stepped up to the plate at all. Right. Um, basically, if you get a serious head injury, they just fired. Oh yeah. Because they don't want to take the liability of you get the second one and getting debilitated. Isn't like um like Vince McMahon? Doesn't he like the the big gross thing that he did? Isn't it like he considers all re- wrestlers to be independent contractors, and so they're not like right, they're not independent contractors. Yeah, they're not considered employees, so he has like zero responsibility to them zero. at all. It's like you zero. Right. No responsibility. You're a private contractor, you carry your own insurance. The only people that will insure you is Lloyd of Lloyd's of London. Um Lloyd's uh, of London, that's the insurance company that will insure that's wrestlers. People that will insure wrestlers, man. That's unbelievable. It's because it's not when you get hurt, it's how often and how bad. You know? Right. right. So uh, they they they'll insure you, but you know it's going to be five, maybe eight hundred bucks a month. You know, right, right. Yeah. Well, I wanted to let you know you're not actually on a podcast right now. Your wife 
actually hired me to just bring you on some cameras and record this so you'd at least remember this conversation forever. And you can go back and reference it. And thank her for that. And thank (laughs) you know, because I don't remember it. Dude, that's that's fucking wild shit, man. I mean, I never, I I had no idea that you did the wrestling thing. That's crazy. How long did you do that? What, like, what period of time was this? Three years. Three Three years years in the 90s or what? Early 2000s. Oh, in the early 2000s. Wow. Mm -hmm. And are you tattooing this whole time you're doing it or are you taking a break from it? No. I didn't do a lot of tattooing during that time because uh, um, I was so big. You know, I mean, I was like 300 pounds. Um, I had uh, 22 inch arms and a 56 inch chest. You know, Jesus so fucking Christ! Wow, man! My, <laughs> oh my God! My uh, my my hands were so uh, um, yeah. You know, the the real fine motor control wasn't there. You know, right. because I was lifting weights so much and I was on so many steroids that uh, I just, I couldn't keep it together to tattoo very much. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Fucking Christ, man. Wow. So you Insane. were, you, 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 you said, you said you were on steroids. You were, you were juicing at that time too then. Oh, off the chain. I went from 160 pounds ringing wet to 300 pounds in about two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Did, did any permanent damage from from the steroid use? Oh yeah, my liver's shot. You know, and I got a I got a bad ticker. You know, but oh, uh, damn. Yeah, that stuff. That stuff is. It's not about how. It's not about if. It's about when and how bad. You know. Did it make it's your voice deeper? Like, did you did you used to be like, "Hi, I'm Bobby Lee Black," and then yeah, I used to be like, <laughs> and then you're like "Hey, I'm Bobby Lee Black. What's going on?" No, it didn't make my voice deeper, but it did make my balls smaller. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy like the whole stuff. rest of your body grew, but your balls stayed the same size. Is probably what it was. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Wow, man. It was uh, it was a hoot. It was a, it was probably three of the best years of my life. I had a ball running around the country, acting like a rock star, being on TV every now and again, hanging out with famous people, messing around with groupies. It was a hoot, you know? So, so you have, you don't have any regret about it. It was a totally wild, awesome time. I don't, I don't have any regret, regret about, I don't have any regret about any of the things I've done, good or bad, you know, because they've all led up to me being who I am now. And I kind of dig me. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I like to say the same thing, but I have regrets, you know what I mean? Like, I have things where I feel the emotional twinge of regret. Like, I have things that I would rather not I had done in my life, but but I, but I have to, like, reconcile them by saying, well, I wouldn't be where I am if I wasn't, you know, if I hadn't gone through those things. But you say you know, that like you just you just don't have that regret about it. I've got one regret about one endeavor. Um, I wish I would have never joined the Masons. <laughs> okay, wow. what what led you to become a Mason? Like a Freemason? Like you became a Freemason? I'm a thirty second degree Mason. Yeah. So why do you? So what got you into the Masons? And what was the experience that? Like, tell me a little bit about that and what well, led to you my, losing interest in one that. Of my, 
One of my buddies was a Mason, and uh, I always was hitting on him about questions about the Illuminati and all that stuff, you know. And and he was all he'd always tell me, "Well, if you want to know, come on in," you know. And so I went on in, and I took uh, the first three degrees, and then I went on to the thirty-second degree, and learned all kinds of shit that I wish I didn't know. Oh shit! So yeah. that's why you regret joining the Masons is because you learned such a as. Of- I was in. There's a lot of stuff that I won't tell because the bottom line is, is it wrecked me, you know. But uh, you know, there's some stuff that I'll be happy to tell. You know, like this is not um, America is not what you think it is. It's a Masonic country based on Masonic principles that's supposed to be the 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 springboard for the Novus Ordo Seclorum, which is the Order of the New Age. So. We call ourselves a country based on Christian principles, but we're not. We're a country based on Masonic principles for a Masonic plan that started right. out. I've, and, and I've heard that perspective before. True story. It's a true story. That's I don't mind telling that. But there's a lot of stuff that I learned that that messed up my head, man. I was better off before I knew. And that's the problem with knowledge is you don't know if you want to know it until you already know it. Right, and there's some things like that you've seen that you wish you could unsee, you know, and not to derail the seriousness of the conversation, but like two girls, one cup, I wish I had never seen that. You and me both, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. Ne- I, I was a better man before that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And, and, but it's, and I will say this about, about the perspective of the, uh, the, the, the Mason country, Masonic principles and whatnot, I would say that... Uh, the structure of certain systems is definitely based on Masonic principles, but then you also have the influence of all the different people who were here and who came here who have functioned within that system. So, you know, you you also have these puritanical uh, elements that are are seeping into that by the individuals who find them, them their ways into the structure. I just don't feel like I don't feel like something can like a like like a Masonic structure can go completely untempered by the other people in the th- that are coming no. into the system. You know what I mean? No. It's just like putting pepper in soup. You know, you put you put some pepper in soup and it changes the complete structure of the soup. Right. You know, or put a little bit of salt in it. You know, it complains it changes the flavor of the soup entirely. Yeah, you I, know. Had, I had a friend. I had a friend who was um, who is uh, in the Masons. A friend whose dad was in the Masons, and I asked about it, and he gave me some books to read. And I never, you know, I was a seventeen-year-old kid, so I was like, didn't pay attention to anything. So I didn't, I didn't crack. I never cracked him open, never got into it. But I was always really curious about it. Um, that's really, that's really interesting. So how how long did you do that for? Seven years. Seven years, and this is before or after wrestling? This was after wrestling. So not that long ago. No, no. I uh, I was, let's see, that was uh, 2004, probably 2006, maybe. No way. Yeah, something like that. Wow. Was, that, was there anything yeah. about it that... I mean, you stayed in it for seven years. There must have been something valuable about it. Like, is I was like, learning. 
for seven years I was learning. I was just learning more stuff, learning more secrets of masonry, learning more. They call it uh, seeking light. Right. I was I was learning more stuff, you know. And once I got to the thirty second degree, I kind of slammed on the brakes because I realized that I was going in a direction that I didn't want to go. Right, and it makes you it makes you wonder what's you know. 10 degrees beyond that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, know, I don't there, know how many total degrees there are. but There's one more degree. There's the 33rd degree, and that's where you've been given all the light there is to show. Um, I didn't think I could take anymore. Is that just yeah. like, is that just like, like at the 33rd degree, you just get a really, really, really harsh lecture? It's like, or do you think, do you think Masons make those jokes with their wives? They're like, ah, I didn't expect to come home and get the 33rd degree. <laughs> right no you uh you, you're given you're just given knowledge you're given books you're given uh, uh access to uh things that uh otherwise you wouldn't have access to you know right so it's like it's like uh it's like maesters in um what do you call it in game of thrones it's like you just you just are like learning information like what like what degree like, or what type of secrets are we talking about here? Like scientific things or historical things or what are we talking historical about? Historical things, uh, scientific things. General uh, knowledge? Yeah, it's uh, things that have been hidden from man for different reasons. You know, things that have been hidden over the years from mankind because of fear of... Uh, of uh, negative responses and so forth, you know. So okay, so then, so j- let me let me just play the skeptic here. Okay. And just say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a question. Is there a certain kind of dagger that can kill Donald Trump? <laughs> that's just that's really yeah, all I want to know. Anything with a point on it. <laughs> anything with a point on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, just go old school. Fortunately, all the people with a point um, were taken out before the primaries, so mm. we're uh, we may not be able to get rid of him. Sorry, that was trying to be topical, and it didn't well, that's, quite that's register. What you, that's what you need the knife for. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need the it, yeah. It's called the Ianti dagger. I mean, like you if, get if it from were... a guy named Sardom Numspar, and you yeah, have right. to find a a plucky big city cop um, by the name. <laughs> oh God. What was Eddie Murphy's character in in The Golden Child? Oh god! Oh, I shit! I wish I remember. Dude, I watched that movie like a hundred times when I was a kid. That was oh, one of my so good. favorite. That was one of my favorite movies, man. I I I I want the, want knife. the knife. I want the knife, please. please. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking Bobby. That is some wild shit, man. Okay, so okay, so playing the skeptic. All right. Mm-hmm. If it's all secret knowledge, but it's all written down in books that you read when you become a mason. And you like purchase these books, so it's it's not it's it's information that people can get their hands on. Like it's probably all on the internet, right? There's so a lot. Of it, there's a lot of it on the internet. Yeah. What prevents the information in totality leaking into society and everybody knowing it? And it becoming either common knowledge or being refuted in some way, like like what prevents that from happening? Like what well, what keeps it a secret? What maintains the secret? The way it's written is one of the things that keeps it from getting out. Because what it is, 
It's written in with a thing called letter prompting, which is the first letter of every word in a sentence, okay? And that is taught to you by voice, by, by another Mason teaching you what those letters stand for. And then you memorize those sentences based on those first letters of those first words. So that keeps it from getting out. The other thing is the, uh, the oaths of uh, death and destruction that you take before you learn stuff. God damn. Oaths of death and destruction. Yeah, every every le- every uh, degree of masonry comes with it a secret and a penalty for divulging that secret. And often the penalty is having your throat cut or having your guts pulled out or something like that. God damn. Yeah, God damn. that's pretty intense. <laughs> that's intense shit, man. I don't I don't guard any of those secrets anymore except for the ones that I wish I didn't have. Those right. I guard. You know, right. but the rest, I don't, I don't guard any of that stuff. I talk about whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's all good. I don't think they're going to come kill me. And if they do, what a way to go. I got killed by Masons. <laughs> I mean, he fell down the stairs and landed on the Yanti dagger. <laughs> yeah, he fell down the stairs, he landed on a dagger, and then he cut his own head off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Plausible. now I want to know on a, on a completely different thing. Tell me when radio is happening. When's your radio career happening in all this? In that, Hawaii. That's, that, yeah, that started in Hawaii. That was in the 90s, man. Um, and uh, that's what started the whole thing. And then um, back I got when into... Terrest- back when live terrestrial radio was still like... It was, it was still, still happening. Like a huge gig, man, right? Yeah, it was still happening. We were live. I was playing records. I was playing CDs. I was playing reel-to-reel tapes. Um, no it was, fucking it, way. Cool. cool. We bought the first uh, CD burner in the state of Hawaii for our radio station. It cost $5,000. Holy <laughs> shit. And it burns these real time so if you had an hour-long cd it took an hour for it to burn yeah man yeah yeah man. i remember so, that shit i remember that because yeah. like you would go to a recording studio like some of the first records we did you go to a recording studio and if you wanted a cd it was basically like it's like hey can we get a cd of everything we just did and it's like yeah for sure <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have come to back in you. five hours yeah 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 by the way, I'm going to have to bill you for this time. <laughs> but we can sit and hang out if you want. We just, you know, there's no point in us doing anything else because the CD's burning. Yeah, you're just sitting there waiting for the CD to burn. It's like, oh, my God. That's fucking funny, man. <laughs> yeah, That's but that was, I had a ball, man. I, I was playing this peculiar mix of music called Island Rock where it was old R&B, classic rock, current rock and reggae so you were you were on like nice. the island rock station so it's just yeah. now are these songs that have all these different influences or is that just like the mix of different genres that were on that was that was the mix of different genres we had uh we had all that stuff okay really- so what what's the hawaii radio scene like at this time like are you like which shift are you working? Are you the, the morning guy? Are you the night guy? Like, what are you doing? Are you jumping all over? I, I started out as the night guy. 
Then I went to the morning guy, and then I went to uh, afternoon drives. That's where I landed. So okay, wow, you did it all, man. So when yeah. you did the night, when you did the night stuff, were you like doing the like, hey, this is Bobby Lee with the light. what was your DJ name, by the way? Bobby Lee was Bobby my Lee. name. Yeah, name this the is Black. Bobby Lee. This is the night shift oh. with Bobby Lee. Yeah, yeah. I used to do. Uh, you listen to Iron Rock, Y one one point five FM, K E L Y and Kealakekua. I'm Bobby Lee, and I'll be hanging here all the way with you until the seven o'clock when the Polynesian Pirate takes over the airwaves with a hundred thousand watts of Polynesian pumping <laughs> power, and it's all going to happen right here on Island Rock, Y one one point five. That's yeah, that's great. <laughs> he still does the yeah. thing. Did you play a lot of yacht rock? A lot of what? Yacht Did you rock. Play a, a lot of yacht rock. Yacht rock. Yacht rock, I guess, like uh, uh, Michael McDonald, um, um, Holland Oates, Captain and no, Steel, I didn't uh, play a lot. Seals and Crofts, no, the Doobie Brothers, a little bit of Doobie Brothers, uh, Ace, uh, no, Player, Pablo Cruz, Pablo Cruz. <laughs> I I don't think I can ever be held responsible for playing a single Pablo Cruz album. So so yacht yacht rock yacht rock is the term for Music that uh, too white yuppie guys in boat shoes and Miami Vice shirts and pleated khakis uh, with sunglasses on their heads and sandy blonde hair and sweaters wrapped around their necks listen to while they do pounds and pounds of blow. I think you pretty yeah. much nailed it right there. Oh, you know what Yacht Rock is? It is the film The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> That's what Yacht Rock is. That's what Yacht Rock That's what is. what it is. Yeah, man, totally. But it's, I mean, it's awesome music. It. So, so Nailed like, it. so it was the '90s. So, so they did everything, like all those genres in one place. That seems kind of that seems kind of it unique was, for a radio station I, during that time. I, I could go from Nirvana to Bob Marley, and then bounce back to uh, James Brown, and then throw in some Leonard Skinner and and. You know, there was no, there was, there was very little parameters. You know what I mean? Because that's my type of radio station, man. That's pretty cool. (laughs) It sounds like a great playlist. Like, so do you think that that was because Hawaii was an underserved market? Like, do you think there was just fewer stations that were broadcasting, or did you guys have a comparable amount for your population there? We were we were the only radio group in Hawaii. Now, there was a couple of other stations on different islands, but we were the only statewide radio group in Hawaii. And that Hawaii is a very eclectic place. You know, there's there's so there's so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many different tastes in music that in order to serve them, you really had to dig deep, you know. I mean, right. they taught they taught me more about music than I ever taught them. You know, they turned me on to all kinds of stuff I didn't know about. Right, right on. So, yeah. so when were you partying more when you were a wrestler or when you were a radio DJ? I was. I've been. I've been. Uh, I was clean and sober for twenty five years. All through. Oh my no! Education. Shit. I completely clean and sober. I only started smoking pot in the last eight years. When did so you? Uh, I, so, how old were you when you got uh, when you got clean and sober? Um, I was twenty three. That's think. young as fuck, dude. Yeah, uh, 
I had rode pretty hard previous to that, though. I'd landed myself in the joint behind my drugging and drinking. But, uh, um, yeah, I gave it up when I was about 23, and uh, I only picked up pot about eight years ago. That's all I do. I don't even drink. I'm a big fan of harm reduction. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there are, there are diehard recovery people who would look mm-hmm. at the way that I live and they would say, you are not sober. And that's fine. You don't have to affix that definition to me. Even aside from that, even if, if it doesn't agree with that definition, what I can tell you, I'm not blacking out. I'm not passing out. I'm not crashing cars. I'm not going to jail. I'm not getting into fights. I'm not getting into arguments with people I love and then regretting them the next day. I'm not, you know pissing myself i'm not puking on myself i'm not putting myself and others in harm's way like i used to when i drank and did cocaine right yeah see and that was me man i drank and i did speed you know i just i ran rough shot through people's lives you know right and uh, and i don't i don't do any of that anymore you know what i mean and um I'm, it's amazing I'm mind- how it stops happening when you stop doing that specific behavior. Like, absolutely. Like, I'm a firm believer in the idea that there are certain chemicals, and chemicals all interact with different things, different ways. You know, different mm-hmm. people, different ways. And some people's brain chemistry just responds a certain way to the chemical known as alcohol or the chemical known as cocaine. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, some people can do it and some people probably shouldn't do other things instead of drink, but some people can. And the way that I interacted with those chemicals was dangerous. And it was it was literally the the primary factor in all the damage that I was doing in my life and all the damage that I was doing to other people. Like it was the primary factor. Sure. You know, and you know, I smoke pot now and there, and I take hallucinogens a couple times a year and there are people who, uh, don't agree with that as in within the definition of sobriety. But, um, man, I, there's a world of difference and, and, the greatest and most egregious harm no longer happens because I did, I stopped doing the other thing. Like I don't worry about smoking pot, creating a situation where I'm going to do irreparable damage to my life and the people that I love. Like I don't No harm is going to come to my son or my partner, you know, my wife, if I smoke pot and take hallucinogens twice a year. Right. Gain Gain a few pounds here and there. Hey, you know, chicken but wings are going to be responsible generally for generally not healthy. Pounds. <laughs> Have I told you about the Fotum 15, Gordo? The what? The Fotum 15, F-O-T-M, Fire on the uh, Mountain, the no, Fotum no. 15. Oh, is that is that just the, the required the, when, the required amount that you're uh, that you take on when you when you get oh, a yeah, job? Oh yeah, when you start working there. <laughs> and then I was joking about that last night, and one of the general managers there was like, "It's more like the Fotum 50." Like, <laughs> you're basically eating chicken wings every single day. Like, oh, he's like, shit. you're, you're going to get fat as fuck. I'm like, God damn it. So I don't think but they're the so pot, good. Yeah, I know. It's so good. So I don't think the pot has as much to do with it. 
Although, I am a little high, and I could definitely go for a plate of chicken wings right now. This, of course, is brought to you by my employers and my friends at Fire on the Mountain Buffalo Wings. Fire, Fire on the Mountain. On the mountain. <laughs> I'm, like, look, I'm looking directly into the camera with the sticker on my cup. You guys are just looking at the Fire on up. the Mountain. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, next thing I want to know about, Bobby, is... When you so, oh by the way to just put, tie up the the conversation we were just having serious congratulations on on twenty three years and in in my opinion the years that you've just been smoking pot totally fucking count and if anybody tells you otherwise they don't they're they're welcome to their opinion but yeah. they their subjective viewpoint of your subjective experience. Uh, it just doesn't enter into it, I'm afraid. Well, you know, there's two different definitions for sober in the dictionary. One is a state of mind. The other is Absolutely. a state of fucking lootly. And a sober state of mind is a rational and a, uh, uh, a cognitive way of thinking. Right. You know, right. I mean, as opposed to being, you know, all screwy and being all drunk. So it's not just about the body being sober as much as it is the mind. And the way I look at it, if something isn't taking you somewhere you don't want to go, then it's okay. The other thing you is, know? is that I think I look at psychotropics like marijuana and psilocybin and LSD, and there's other compounds that people could throw into that mix that would argue like if you ever watch hamilton's pharmacopoeia on vice like they they've done some interesting stuff on on certain compounds that i won't get into but for me personally from my subjective experience compounds like psilocybin and lsd and thc um they serve a shamanic purpose correct and I have found that these substances help me to grow developmentally. That's mm-hmm. just my experience. I mean, there's ton of empirical research to support those claims out there, mm-hmm. but just in my subjective experience, I know that those compounds have shown me things and helped me work through knots of personality that needed to be untied. You right. know what I mean? Like, I have had extremely substantially profoundly uh positively altering experiences through the use of those chemical compounds Dig now, it, yeah. i wouldn't recommend it to everybody you know i don't think i don't think you should be able to get it all at 7-eleven right right you know but sarah and i've been talking about we've been talking about consulting uh a professional of some sort to guide us on microdosing for mental health. Dig it. Sure. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I won't speak for her, but I personally have struggled with, you know, d- depression and anxiety. Who doesn't and who, who can really say that they never have, especially in the present situation that we're in. Sure. sure. F- fucking bonkers, you know, and, I have found that having experiences with like psilocybin especially have helped me get through those things and help put me in a state of mind where I can have a conversation with my own ego and be like be like okay come on 
You can do this. We're all right. We're going to get through it. Everything's going to be okay. And I have lasting results as, you know, lasting results from it. Well, and, what hallucinogens helped me with was separating myself from my ego. You absolutely. know, realizing that I am not my ego. I am not my thoughts. I stand between my thoughts. I am not my ego. I stand behind my ego. My ego is something that I created to navigate the world with. The right. problem is that in our Western, um, in our Western uh, narrative, we have turned over our emotional well-being to our egos as well. Right. And so consequently, we spend all of our time being, being scared by our ego to connect with other people and to do all the things that we do. Um, that was never supposed to be our ego's job. You know, so once you separate yourself from your ego and you realize I am not that thing, um, you're able to identify more through the spirit and more through who, who you actually are as right. opposed to what you have become. And that's yeah. kind of and that's kind of my point. It's more about like having having a conversation with the ego as a servant. Yeah, because that's you what know, it is. Basically, going like like recognizing that your ego is a tool, that mm-hmm. your higher self, you know, you could you could even call it your conscious mind versus your your unconscious mind in in some sure. schools of thought, and your higher conscious mind. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And your higher conscious mind is kind of back there steering and uh, while while your uh, unconscious mind is like the body of the car mm-hmm. you know and then yeah. your yeah and then your conscious mind is just like i don't know the onboard fucking computer you know it's nothing yeah. it's not yeah. nothing but it, you know it is nothing in a in a greater sense but comparatively yeah. Yeah. comparatively nothing yeah yeah and that's it, like being able to, like you said, you know, kind of dis- disassociate from it a little bit, stand away from it and just observe it and and see how the things that you're worrying about or the things that you're upset about, that you're sad about, you know, in the in the greater scheme of things, they just they don't matter. And and they're all spurned from some sort of fear of or loss of love. You know what I mean? It's really mm-hmm. it. And really, there's only two fears that all this stuff comes from. You've got a fear of not getting what you want and a fear of losing what you got. Mm-hmm. Every or bad getting be- what you don't want. Yeah, right. You don't want that. But that's every bad the, behavior on the planet ends up with those. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's like behaviorism 101. Like, usually, you know, you're performing a behavior in the world to either get something or avoid something. Right. You know? So, right. like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. I've um a, a great realization that was was aided by hallucinogens, but it was mostly just from doing doing work, you know, just exploring is the realization that our identity drives our behavior and that our identity is completely fluid and completely made up. It is a construct of that ego. Mhm. So being able to go, okay, well, I behaved this way. I was a drunken maniac because I wanted to create an identity of this, like, wild man, rock star, crazy person, tortured soul, sad cowboy, you know, uh, yes. a train wreck of a person because I, th- I thought at a higher level, it's like, oh, I thought it would make me more interesting and at a higher level, and it's like, 
And if I'm not interesting, then nobody's going to want to be around me. No one's ever going to like me. No one's going to ever love me. It all like it goes to these higher levels of abstraction. And once you realize that all of that is made up, you can consciously choose a new identity for yourself. And then that identity drives your behavior because then you're only going to do things that somebody with that identity would do. So you right. construct the most useful identity and then your behaviors reflect that identity and then your experience of the world is created by th- those those actions, those behaviors that you're taking. As opposed to the That's- opposite that most that, that many people would say, which is things happen to you, it causes you to behave a certain way, and then that creates the identity of who you are. That's certainly how we punish people in well, you our can always penal choose system. how you react to whatever's happening to you as well. Right, that's exactly. something that you don't. That some people you, you just you're not taught that you know. Well, yeah, and that identity <laughs> that you have that choice, you know. That identity makes it really easy to make those choices because it's like, how would this type of person respond in that situation? Right. You know, a, a lot of times when you run into people who are really quick to get in a fight. It's it's something that they think that they're supposed to do. It's something that they've associated with their identity, whether it's the identity of being a man or the identity of being an American or the identity of, you know, of 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 strength or the identity of being an asshole. asshole. Yeah, there are some people (laughs) who are just like, I've got to be an asshole to protect myself from people harming me. It's got to be a son of a bitch, man. Yeah, I gotta be a I gotta be a tough son of a bitch. Otherwise, people will walk all over you. Like, right. It's an identity they've chosen. There was um, Gordo. Did we talk about the study, um, the conflict study, the northern versus southern conflict study? I don't think so. So I, I can't remember the exact name of this study, but it's really fascinating. So basically, they they surveyed a bunch of people, and they put them in this controlled environment where the participant knew that they were going to be participating in a study, but they didn't know that this element was part of the study. Where basically they put him in an environment where somebody bumps into them and doesn't apologize and keeps walking. Oh. And then they measured the individual's cortisol. They talked to him about it and interview him about the experience after the fact, show him the video and go, how did you feel when this happened? Blah, 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 blah. Right. And there was an interesting cultural difference between classically Northern Americans and classically Southern Americans. Like, and the difference was that the Northern people felt less drawn into conflict. Like, and they... And therefore drama. Well, yeah, and, and so they would be like, they would be like, uh, they would interview him and be like, so what did you think when this happened? They And you'd watch the video and these folks like actually apologized to the person who ran into him. You know what I mean? Like total, like, just like so sorry. Over, overly was, polite, like suburban, so like northern people. Just like, oh, geez, oh, well, sorry there. You know, and then uh, a greater number of the southern people um, felt the need to defend their honor. Their cortisol yeah. levels were higher. They were more apt to say, like, yeah, I wanted I wanted to, you know, one guy, I guess, yelled at, it, yelled at the dude who bumped into him, you know, 
they were more likely to say things like, yeah, I kind of wanted to kick that guy's ass. You know, like they would say things like that. And there's this, they dug a little deeper into the belief systems that surrounded that. And it's like, it's stuff like we're talking about, like, well, yeah, if you don't stand up for yourself, people will walk over you and you can't, you can't let people disrespect you. You can't allow yourself to be dishonored. You know, that I, I, yeah, I what's felt, the what's the perception of you in in public? What's the perception of you, right. you know, next to your brother, your sister, your mother, whatever? Right. Like what's and the it, what's the perception of you in the immediate vicinity in the community? You yeah, know? and it's yeah. it's like and it's it's like while we as humans, you know, humans have only been around two hundred thousand years, so not that long, you know, from from our closest primate ancestors it's like we do still have that innate aggression built in you know there still is there still is innate violence in human beings but there is a degree of it to which can be directly attributed to culture and upbringing and belief system and value structure I tell you, one of the greatest freedoms that I've ever been offered on this path that I've been on is is finding out that respect is imaginary. That respect <laughs> is imaginary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. It's something I make up inside my head, and I make these parameters that say, if you do this, you're disrespecting me. Absolutely. And, you, and if you don't know those parameters, the chances of you disrespecting me are very good. Right. You know, especially if I have very high expectations of what respect is. Right. You know, when I realized that respect was imaginary, it changed my entire vibe because I used to be very violent, very hardcore. And uh, um, I've been on a pathway of peace now for about 10 years. And uh, and part of it is because I've let go of a lot of my world paradigms that were not serving. Me. Right. And one of the, and one of those was that thing about respect. That's important. That, and that's very important to do. And um yeah, I, uh, I've had to do a lot of work on letting it be okay when people don't like me. You know what That's I mean? Tough. Or That's like, tough. like letting it be okay. Like one way I, I will explain. This is something, and tell me if you've had this experience as a father. I will imagine scenarios that my son is going to encounter in his life, and I will imagine, okay, dad. How are you going to help guide him through this event when it happens? And I start to process it and start to talk about how I would explain it to him. And in imagining explaining it to him, it is relevant to old ways of thinking that I have that need to be healed a little bit. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Like, like thinking about telling him that, like, look, if you take a hundred random people, most of them aren't going to pay you any attention whatsoever. Most of them aren't even going to notice you. You're just going to be a, a, another face in the crowd. Most of them. There will be a handful of people uh, with whom you are light acquaintances or contemporaries with. There will, like, there will be a handful of people who lean towards liking you more. There'll be a handful of people who lean towards disliking you more. There will be a small group of people who really like you, who would consider call you a friend. 
a handful of people who really don't like you, and then there will be just a few people in that hundred, maybe three or four or five people who love, love, love you, and maybe three or four people, maybe only like two people who hate, hate, hate you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just that's just the breakdown on it. it. It's it's the law of diffusion of innovation. You know, if you look at that graph where it's like the early adopters and the innovators and the the majority and all that. If you look at that graph, if you've ever seen, I don't know, have you ever seen the law of diffu- diffusion of innovation graph before? Like, it's it's definitely worth looking up. I could probably get it up here on this. Actually, Gordo can get it up on this while I search for it. You've got the the thing. Can you I've got um? The thing. Can you look uh, up? Uh, can you look up on Google? Can you just Google the law of diffusion of innovation? Law of diffusion innovation, sure thing. Right. I'm also receiving some incoming messages about something you may want to turn your attention to on your phone. What does it say? Uh, I think you should look at your phone. Oh, it says. Um, Skibs think we may have been hacked. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? I've actually been seeing that come from a few of my friends' accounts. Um, where it's like, everybody watch out for this. Um, it's a uh, <laughs> it's a message that comes in, and it just says, I didn't expect this to take so long, but I finally got it all done. You got to love it. I used some of your photos. They are right at the top. Three of your pictures and four hours of my time. LOL on Instagram. And then it just goes to like a like a piece of phishing software. Yeah, I. Um, is so that's that what a, you're talking about? That, yeah that that is the PSA. That is the PSA. Yeah, for, for everyone out there. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I hadn't seen that before, so I, I just wanted you to see that because I didn't want to tip off whoever it was, you know, Boo. since we were live and all that stuff. Boo. I don't know. Well, yeah, I just got another message from Micah that just says, "Yo, your <laughs> Facebook is jacked." My Facebook is jacked. What's going on? What's going on? Everything is jacked, man. God damn it. It's the COVID, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) Dadgum hackers. All right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I touched the mouse. Um, So, yeah. So, the diffusion of law of... uh, The diffusion of... The law of diffusion of innovation is basically like... It's a it's a marketing term, but it breaks down to this is super useful in like looking at your audience, like who um, composes your audience. Yeah, uh, Chrome's all the way over here on the left, Gordo. I'm, oh wait, I'm having I'm having issues because I have my sidebars at the bottom too, so it's popping it's popping all right, up. Here, every, let me let me pop it, it up keeps, real quick. It keeps popping up both of my things because I don't have it in the right place. There you go. There you go. It's the one thing I was not prepared for. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I know, man. I'm yeah. Just just trying to just trying to hang in with this technology here. So, um I wanna know about you getting into acting. How okay. long how long have you been how long have you been doing acting for? Like, is it a pretty new thing? Like are you like a... Uh, like a Danny Trejo type of character where you got out of the joint and then you were just like automatically like a great character actor because you were a prison dude. Like what, what's the situation here? 
Um, I, uh, I was still had my wrestling school open and I was still doing wrestling shows. And, uh, somebody told me that they needed a wrestler for a commercial. So I went down to a place at that time was called the Colorado production group. And I was sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of guys that were actors that had headshots that all knew each other from different projects. I almost left a couple of times because I felt like the new kid at school, you know? Right. And, um, I went in and I got the job. It was a national commercial for a, a then no, unknown show called Trading Spaces that ended up doing really well. Um, I did another commercial for them for the Discovery Network. Then I so did. So wait, a couple you did the voiceover work for that, or you were? No, I was in it. I was I was an actor in it. In Trading Spaces, in the like in, the reality in show, the, pro- the promo for the reality show. The commercial oh, for the reality. Oh, that's pretty yeah, cool. The thing, the thing that introduced it to the country. That's pretty right cool. Right on. <laughs> that was my first job. And then I did a couple of more commercials and a couple of TV shows with that same company. And I got representation. Then I hit one over the fence with The Punisher with John Travolta. And, so you were uh, in the that, John Travolta one. I was trying to figure out which Punisher you were in. Yeah, the John Travolta one, the first one. Well, the second one, yes. Um, but, uh, he, uh, that, that movie did me really well. And, uh, I ended up catching some more small movies after that. Then, uh, I did a movie with Anna Paquin from True Blood, um, called, uh, uh, Free Ride. That was a, that was a real groove. Um, that, that kind of swung my career in another direction. Um, then I just, uh, I, I can't tell you how many movies I've done. It's all, it's all up. But uh, uh, that's what started it all was the uh, the whole wrestling thing. You know, I went from radio to wrestling and from wrestling to uh, acting. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I just I, I just had a moment where I was like, I was like, man, that's like the same thing that like happens with a lot of actors like Hulk Hogan. And then I realized your mustache looks like Hulk Hogan's. And then I like looked that's at my your- brother. And then I looked at your hat, and I just started, like, imagining all these jokes about, like, being Hulk Hogan's stunt double and, like, be like, or, like, the meme where they say, like, we've got Hulk Hogan at home, and then it's, like, Hulk Hogan at home, and it's Bobby Lee Black. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that meme? Yeah. (laughs) Where it's, like, whatever, we've got whatever at home, and then it's, like, whatever at home, and it's some funny picture. Sorry, that popped into my head. I got, sorry, that was really funny to me. Um, so, uh, tell me about working on the Punisher. What did you do in the Punisher? Um, I was a bad guy. I'm always a bad guy. You know, um, I shot bad guy. I, I thank you. I, I shot John Travolta's son in an arms deal that went bad and started the whole war. And then the feds shot me. Oh, so you were the main bad guy. I was, I was, I was a, uh, a critical, uh, critical bad guy. Sure. Critical bad critical guy. Critical bad guy. That's a great band name, dude. Yeah, critical. critical bad guy. Critical <laughs> bad guy. Critical bad guy. That's great, man. That's great. We sh- I like want to change the description of the episode to Gordo. Write this down. We're gonna call the episode "Critical Bad Guy." Critical bad guy. That's yeah. it. That's a great name it. for the episode. That's great. We also worked on a film together. Yes. Yeah, we did. And I never saw what came of it. 
because your your partner in Chamber of Peace Films has done a few mm-hmm. music videos for us. Is an old friend of yeah. mine uh, yeah. from high school. Dude who did a couple tattoos on me. Uh, Ida Logani. Yeah. So how do you guys hook up and decide to to create your company to create Chamber Peace Films? Well, Idolo and I worked together as tattooers and uh, um, and he knew that I was an actor and that I was active in the entertainment industry. And he told me that uh, he was planning on shooting films. And so he shot a couple of things and showed me what he shot. And I was really impressed with his eye. And uh, and so we endeavored to start a movie called Wax. Right. That. Um, but what happened was, is that Elo had, uh, a kid and then he had two more kids and he had twins the second time around. <laughs> yeah. He had twins the second time around. So there, there really was not time to produce that movie. Um, okay, so it, that's just, what it, was. it just went by the wayside until the kids got a little older, you know? But that's what started Chamber Peace Films. I mean, the two things that we base our company on is one, um, the Chamber Peace concept, which is a small group of players that can play multiple roles. Um, and then the experience that I've had over the years, I've had three times that a script was written with me in mind. And those times were the times that I had my most stellar performances. So what we try to do is get to know our actors real good and then write this write the script around them so that right. they can be themselves in the role. Right. Yeah. That's a smart thing. Character driven character driven scripts. That's really cool. I like that. So that's that's what we're putting into this one and uh the the shop. And I think that uh I think that because of the way that we're doing things, there's cre- there's a synergy being created between the actors that's going to come across on film. Right, right. So how how has the short film been received since you guys initially put it out? Oh man, people loved it. It, it, it. They really they enjoyed it. They laughed. They had a good time. They loved the characters, and they wanted more. You know, they wanted more. So we're going to give them more. Right on. Very cool shit. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. www.theshopfilm.com and they can watch the clip. www.theshopfilm.com. Actually, we can bring it up here on the stream. Oh, man. Look at this. This looks great. All right. Let's check out this video here. Fuck you guys. <sighs> Every fucking morning. What is that? Oh God. God. What what even was that? Guys are so fucking gross.
I don't know what I would do without you. Pension roll. <laughs> hey man, you got any appointments today? No, not today. What the so are you are you hearing the audio from this, Aaron? Oh yeah, I'm hearing the audio. Just because I care about what I do. Because it just it looks great. Yeah. Fuck you, dickhead! Didn't I teach you how to tattoo? Yeah. If that's what you'd like to call it. But still, though, I taught you how to tattoo. Yeah. So have some respect. Just because you started tattooing when it was invented does not mean you know shit. Yeah, but I bet I'd make more money than you. Oh, yeah, Kenny Rogers? You a gambling man? It's fuckheads. Oh, mom's mad. You turds need to start helping me clean the fucking shop. <laughs> Turds. <laughs> Who says turds anymore? <laughs> Old ladies mostly. <laughs> turds. That's great. You think I'm kidding. You guys are disgusting. This is our workplace and we all need to contribute. I contribute. Me too. No, you don't. You do the big tattoos, you do the small ones, and I clean the fuck up after both of you. Yeah, but I make more money though. No, you idiot. In addition to tattooing, you also need to help clean. I don't clean. No, no, that's true. Bobby doesn't clean. Everybody knows that. Yeah, man. I haven't even washed my hands at work since, like, 1992. Okay, first fucking gross, gross dude. This is our workplace. I can't pierce in this environment. Take some pride in the shop, you dicks. Started wearing gloves. That's another thing. You only wear the gloves because I make you do it. Damn straight, them things are expensive. There's this thing called the health department. They'll shut us down. You won't have anywhere to work. Do you understand? Yeah, Aaron, I, uh... I'm still really not on board with this. Oh, I swear to God, Bobby. Hold on, hold on. I have an idea. What kind of idea? A bet. All right, what's the bet, you fucking noob? Whoever makes the least amount of money today cleans the shop, you relic. You're on, you arrogant rookie. Oh, hell no. Oh, he doesn't want to shake his hands because they're gross. Whatever. <laughs> you're on your own. I have to go pick up my dog. Yeah, bring him by. Oh, man, I love that dog. Yeah, he's awesome. He's totally cute. Uh, I love that guy. Bring him by. No, you idiots. Dogs have fur. It gets everywhere. And there's really no reason why one should ever be in a tattoo shop. We could always shave the dog, and then he can hang out with us all day. Jared, touch my fucking dog? And I'll go John Wick on your ass. Bye, fuckheads. <laughs> Turds. That is good shit. 
Now you were saying you were saying earlier in the episode that one of the uh, one of the things that kind of stalled it out was was the financing side of it, right? Correct. Yeah, we uh, we did some hunting around, tried to get financed, but uh, a series is a pretty big. It's a pretty big nut to cover, you know, um, and uh, we just couldn't get it uh, finalized. And so we shelved it, you know, but now we got the full length feature and it's a lot easier to shoot a feature movie than it is to shoot a series. You know, what, what about that is easier? What makes it easier to shoot a full length um, feature? You can shoot a full length feature in 12 days, you know, right. um, and once you're done shooting, all you got to do is edit colorize do the bit and you've got a movie um with a series you're constantly shooting constantly writing constantly editing con- you know what i mean it's just it's right. just the process right right no that makes sense and uh yeah some of these movies or some of these series out now are like you know they make they make some of the biggest epic films of all time just look like nothing you know, because yeah. how much, how much, like all the universe building and all the, all the set design and all like all the intermingling of the different side stories and things like that. It's it's pretty wild, man. So I, I imagine there's a lot that goes into it. You need a lot of writers. You need a lot of editors. You need a lot of directors. You need a lot of everything. You know, right. because you're working all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. So what made you? What made you decide to jump into, to come kind of back around full circle, what made you decide to jump into the producer role if you really are not a fan of that role? Even though you like the project. Like you mentioned before that it's like, has to do with the fact that you like really believe in the project and you really like it. What is it specifically that made you want to jump into the role of producer despite the fact that you just really don't like that shit? There was nobody there to wear the hat, you know. Someone um, had to step in. Someone had to step up, and I enjoy the part of pulling everybody together, you know, getting a bunch of actors, getting the crew, and getting the locations nailed down. I enjoy that part. Right, the project um, management side of it is a lot yeah. of fun. But the, uh, the the business of it, the writing the contracts, and I mean, I've written 15 contracts in the last 20 days. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, and all the heretofores and, and, and herefore-withs and all that stuff, you know. And, um, and you then also go the, to law school? I wouldn't be surprised if you were a lawyer, too. I should have, yeah. And uh, this Bobby Lee Black Esquire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I just uh, um, I'm self-taught. Like I said, I'm an eighth grade dropout. You know, I, I'm a published writer. I, I, I've written for three different magazines over the years uh, as a columnist. Um, but uh, I'm self-taught. You know, I mean, everything everything I've learned, I've learned from people that were smarter than me. And then I took the time to listen. You know? Right, right. Wait, who did you write for, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I used to write for GoGo Magazine. You remember that one? You used to write for GoGo Magazine. I was the, the, uh, the tattoo. I was the tattoo food critic in GoGo Magazine. The tattoo yeah. and food critic. Yeah, and uh, I did that one. I did simply the best magazine down in Florida, and I did uh, 
Inkspired magazine here with uh, Sean and Deezy. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've written for different mags, and, and my stuff is uh, very Hunter S. Thompson, very stream of consciousness that just so happened to happen someplace like a restaurant. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. It's very cool shit. I'll have to, I'll have to, look. man, you'll have to send me to a link to some of your old GoGo magazine stuff. That'd be really cool. You can go to BobbyLeeBlack.com. There's a writer uh, section on it. That's very cool. All right. Yeah. Um, so then that, I guess, brings me to my next point, which is uh, where can people find you? Uh, what are all the links? What's all the stuff? Tell people, uh, tell people oh. where to look you up and, and what to keep an eye out for. All, if you want to look me up, just Google up Bobby Lee Black. There's a never-ending source of uh, entertainment there. But uh, if, you, uh, if you're interested in the film or you're interested in maybe coming on board with us, um, the real number, the real uh, website that I really want to push is uh, theshopfilm.com. Cool. Cool. Theshopfilm.com. Mm-hmm. Everybody watching, keep your eyes out for the shop. Hey, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Real quick. Uh, you want to handle it, buddy? I got it. All right, cool. <laughs> First and foremost, Matula Plumbing. Matula. Matula. Shit rolls down. Don't be at the bottom. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Angie's List Super Service Award winner back in 2011. 111. 111 is the only one. That matters. The only one. He'll wear the booties for you. If you need the only one price. The only one, 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 one in the game. Jerry Matula, master of poopers himself. Uh, Flipside music. Flipside music. Life is short. Go make some noise. Go see Ike and his informative staff. Subscribe to the Flipside Music channel on YouTube to see their series, What the FAQ. Uh, and and uh, most importantly, go down to the shop and take a gander at their largest selection of uh, effects pedals in the region. Uh, they've got repairs and lesson space and uh, the coolest little jam and demo area I've ever seen. Like It is like the most comfortable place to go. Plus, dude, their staff knows everything there is to know about. Legit. They know their shit. Uh, They know their guitar picks, and they know their their tuners, and they know their um, they know their stomp boxes, and their fuzz boxes, and and all the other pedals and git fiddles that you could ever want to know about. Capos. Uh, Capos. They know about capos. They know about. If you put a capo on your mic, you can hit higher notes. I heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. I do it all the time. Whenever we do Queen songs, I just put the capo on. It works every time. Does it work better than putting it on your nads? Uh, well, it I- actually, I actually put it on my <laughs> wanger on long road trips. That's got to feel good. Yeah. It, um, it, it really gives you that extra... 15 20 miles you need when you're about to piss your pants and the next rest area isn't for a while like it that's what i call self-care yeah when you don't when you want to optimize your stops because you've got places to be you know so you don't want to stop and get gas you want to stop and get gas and take a pee 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Burn TV Studios. This content and a bunch of other great content comes live. Well, I mean, I guess that there's no nation is live. It literally is not live. It's stop motion. Well, you're live from there right now. I'm live from Burn TV Studios, where we make the Nug Nation, Hemp and History, and a bunch of other really, really oh, Potty Talk featuring Bong Burgundy, and of course the motherfucking podcast. Oh, Gordo, I forgot to tell you about the new. Wait, did I tell you about the new toy that we got here? It it really. Gives you, dude. We've got two that laser engraving machines. Fifteen, here. twenty miles when you need up. when you're when about to up, piss your pants like in the next rest area isn't for a while. Mike, like that's what I call self care. Yeah, when you don't, when you want to optimize your stops because you've got places to be, you know. So you don't want to stop to put in the boardroom and get gas. You want to stop and get gas and take a pee. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Burn TV Studios. This content and a bunch of other great content comes live. Well, I mean, I guess that there's the Nug Nation isn't live. It literally is not live. It's stop motion. Well, you're live from there right now. But I'm live from Burn TV Studios, uh, where we make the Nug Nation, uh, Hemp and History, and a bunch of other really, really, oh, Potty Talk featuring Bong Burgundy, and of course the motherfucking podcast. Oh, Gordo, I forgot to tell you about the new, wait, did I tell you about the new toy that we got here? No. Dude, we've got two laser engraving machines here. And when oh. I showed up, when I showed up, it smelled like the place was burning down. And <laughs> Mikey walks me to the back, and he and Jamie were cutting letters out to make a giant light up Nug Nation sign to put in the boardroom. Wow. Dude, oh. like, it was, it got my wheels fucking spinning, dude. I want to make my own kiss lights. Like, seriously, it is. <laughs> So fucking cool what they're doing. Anyway, Burn TV Studios, the Nug Nation. We got some cool stuff coming out of here. Go to thenugnation.com to see the Nugs in their wacky adventures through the town of Nugville. Uh, Rocket Billy Space Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios. Rocket Space, fully furnished, uh, fully equipped, clean, professional, nice, affordable. And all the rest of it, uh, hourly rehearsal studios, they are open for business. So if you and the gang want to go jam, uh, head down to Rocket Space. Say what's up to Kate for us. Rocket Space, you ain't got to carry shit. Hey, by the way, Skib says he'll he'll wire up the kiss lights for you. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did he just say that in the comments? He just, he just said that. He sent a direct message to me, which means He's, he means oh. it. Dude, Skibs, you are fucking <laughs> on, dude. Like, dude, later on, I'll take a video and I'll send it to you and show you the toy we got. It's so fucking dope. Um, yes, I'm going to take you up on that. Thanks, Skibs. Love you lots. Shout out to Gene Skibbins, our former producer of the motherfucking podcast, but long time, up, dude? Well, long time helper dude, long time helper of bands and musician himself, quite the guitar player, uh, and just a, a sweetie pie of a guy. He's, uh, he's on point with the memes. Oh, he's so he's a meme lord. He is a true meme lord. It's one and he's of just the, a hell of a nice guy. It's one of the only things I miss about being on social media regularly. Like, is John Skabicki's fucking meme game is so on point. He's so, so very good at it. You're doing the Lord's work, sir. 
he's uh, one of the yeah. he's one of the few in my feed. You know, yeah. Uh, Evergroove Studio. Wow. In Evergreen, Colorado. Evergroove. Uh, nestled atop the Black Mountain region of Evergreen. Most beautiful recording studio you'll ever seen. Most friendliest staff you'll ever seen. Uh, top of the line equipment. Top of the line know how. Top of the line views and environment. Take an early morning hike with Jenny and Brad through the region or, or, Take LSD and stare at Brad while he talks and absorb nothing that he's saying, but imagine him <laughs> as being some sort of futuristic cyberpunk hacker recording engineer dude and thinking that that is just truly amazing. Like, literally, when I took acid up there, I was talking to Brad and missed every word he said in a conversation because I was imagining him as, like, a, a cyberpunk character. Did he it's look like of- Billy Idol on the, on the cover of his cyberpunk album? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm asking you because no one's ever seen the cover of that album. No, it's you, terrible. <laughs> no, you know what he <laughs> look, you know what he looked like. So this is something I wanted to ask. Uh, this is something I wanted to ask Bobby earlier. Is what guy were you in the heist? Oh, um, I'm because a every bad heist guy. has the guy. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a I'm I am the rook. Yeah, the movie's called The Rook. I am the Rook. I am uh, the power piece that gets played into the game. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I die, like always. Well, so but, are you uh, like the explosives guy, or are you the hacker guy, or are you the... I'm the, I'm the, old, the old outlaw that, that cleaned up his act, but now is willing to go back to being an outlaw to save his uh, surrogate daughter. Oh, cool! That's honorable. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. so like but I was. Good reasons. So like, if Brad was a character in the heist, like I was imagining him while I was while I was on acid, he would be the guy in the van. Like he would be the tech guy. He would be the, the, guy, like, the surveillance the guy. Yeah, yeah. The you know bald guy, glasses, reroutes encryptions very fastly. Mm. That guy. Evergroove Studio, check them out. Um, Mutiny Information Cafe. Hold on. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's going so slow for me right now. There Mutiny it is. Mutiny Information Cafe at 2 South Broadway in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Mutiny is ever- Reverend everything. Jim. Reverend Jim, love him. Reverend Jim, love him. Reverend Jim. Books, comics, records, uh, cereal, coffee. Eventually, there will be live events again. Um, and I never even got a copy of Ape Shit Mood Ring over to him because it because the COVID hit. How? By the way, that. as a side note, how have the sales of your record gone with not being able to play shows? Uh, it really just kind of depends. Just kind of depends on you know what the activity level is. Honestly, you know, because right. we we've had a sale going on and that sale is still going on right now at gordophonicrecords.com. So you can you can enjoy you can enjoy yourself at gordophonicrecords.com and you can pick up anything there. Any purchase of thirty dollars or more gets thirty percent off with the code ISOCRAZY at checkout. It's a perpetual sale we're running right now during these uh, trying times. And Ape Shit Mood Ring is a great album. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, it is a great, 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 great. We, Great album. We put much care and effort into that. Uh, I, I will say that, that you know, they've been reasonable 
for not having any activity. <laughs> you know? Well, that's great. It does. It deserves so. to be purchased by many people. Last but not least, our Patreon, our patrons, the people who support us via a small recurrent contribution at patreon.com slash mfruckus. You guys make the goddamn world go round. Thank you so, so much for everything you do. We appreciate the shit out of you. Um, because of you, we're going to be able to do some really, really cool stuff. We're working on a uh, releasing our latest comic and a flexi single of Acropolis Now that we're going to get printed and we're going to distribute that worldwide. And it's going to be super goddamn cool. We're finally going to put out like a physical media product for the first time in years, man. I'm excited about it. You patrons are making that possible. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. Um, Hey, I want to give a shout out to my guest, Bobby Lee Black. Thank you so much for coming on the program, my man. I really appreciate you. Uh, I love everything you do. I love what what a rich and exciting life that you have led. I love our conversations. Um, You know, getting to... Getting to talk to you about fatherhood has been has been a great thing. We've had we've had some very nice chats in in the time since we've become acquainted. I appreciate the shit out of you. I can't wait to see the new movie. I can't wait to have our music in it. And uh, and I I just wish you nothing but the best on this, man. Really, I'm I'm excited about it. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Of course, of course, uh, Gordo. I love you. Thank you so much for everything that you do, Ethan Klein. Our tech dude watching from the distance. And everybody, everybody who sent me messages to let me know that I got hacked. Hey, Houston Gandy. Houston Gandy is also letting me know that I got hacked. Thanks to all my friends (laughs) who are letting me know that I got (laughs) hacked. It's a PSA, man. Yeah. It's a PSA. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I can't wait to log into all my accounts and see all the messages that say the same thing. Yep, I just got one. Yeah, I'll bet you did. (laughs) All right, guys. Love you lots. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks, everybody out there in Internet land for watching. This has been the motherfucking podcast, episode 111. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye, y'all. Everybody. The motherfucking podcast is recorded at the Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado, and hosted by Aaron Howell, Tony Lee, Logan O'Connor, and occasionally even Ty Blosser of the international power rock combo, Motherfucking Ruckus. Our producer in the studio is Gordon Ledfoot. Our producers in Chicago are Gene Skibbins and Adam Zielinski. All music except homie shoutouts and featured artists is written and performed by MF Ruckus and comes from the album The Front Lines of Good Times, Volume 1, coming this fall on Rodeo Star Records. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, if you find this podcast valuable or entertaining and you wish to support MF Ruckus further, you can rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. If you really want to help us do what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash mfruckus and become a patron at any level. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early releases, guest list spots, even VIP parties with beer and food, all in exchange for a small monthly contribution. It really does make a difference and allows us to do this podcast, make records, create videos, go on tour, fly Tony back and forth, and all the other stuff we love to do for you guys. Patreon.com slash MFRuckus. Check it out. Thanks again, guys.
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 